Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hey everybody, Max Boltman here alongside Corey Pronman for another episode of the Athletic Hockey Show's Prospect Series. The draft is getting closer. We are two weeks away today as we record this, uh, but we're going to start today with some of the news on the already drafted prospects, the already debuted prospects, Corey. The Calder Trophy uh, handed out this week, and it goes to Moritz Sider, Trevor Zegers coming in second, Michael Bunting, Lucas Raymond round out the top four. Uh, I know you were a little skeptical. You thought this was going to go Zegers' way. What's your kind of initial reaction here to the to the Calder announcement? Pleasant surprise. I am actually was surprised by how big the margin was. I thought Zegers would... I thought maybe it would be like a 60-40 split, a 65-35 split, but it was really heavily in favor of Mo, at least among the first place votes. Yeah, it was. And I, I do think that speaks to kind of, you know, he, he built some momentum toward the back half of the year. And, and maybe Zegris, I think as Anaheim started to fall out of the um, the playoff race and they had a really hard fall back down to earth. I do wonder how much that played into things. Um, obviously, Detroit was never good the entire year, but I felt like Ironically, for for all the people who said that uh, you know Zegers was going to win because of the highlights, I think Cider ended up on probably nearly as many highlight reels just with with the physicality by by the end of the year. So visibility wise, I think um, I think it probably did level off a little bit toward the end of the year. Yeah, that's fair to say. I mean, I still think Zegers still played really well, and even though Cider plays a premium position and did so in a big role. Zegers also played a premium position for a large stretches of the season and did, and did so really well. So I, that's why I thought there were really both, there was a really strong case for both the players. Um, so I thought it'd be a little closer, but, uh, but no, definitely Mo was extremely deserving. He would have been my vote. Uh, we had one of our, in one of our mailbag questions that uh, David 
kind of made a little uh, crack at me. He said, why did you make me doubt that <laughs> that Mo would get the Calder? Is it because you hate uh, the Red Wings? And the answer, of course, is is no. Is that I thought that that the, the based on just my perception of the voters would be closer. But like I said, I was pleasantly surprised that uh, that that cider not only won but won such a convincing margin. Yeah, they they were one two on my ballot, and I want to echo what you were saying a second ago there about the premium position thing because to me that's what separated these two guys. Not just that they played premium positions, but the way they elevated their teams, the 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 kind of roles they were asked to play right away. Like there are guys like Anton Lindell who I think you know he didn't end up on my ballot, um, but I I really strongly considered him, and he's another one who you come in playing center and and it's it is tough, um, but he was on a really good team, and I think what in part separated cider and and Zegris for me is they stepped into you know top six center top pair d roles and and made a tangible impact in really some of the toughest situations their teams right. had to offer Zegris got a little bit of shelter um in terms of the the zone starts and all that but to me that that's a big deal and that's a big differentiator in, in these this kind of voting right and i think both of their teams exceeded expectations to an extent in large part due to how those two players played on the premium position front, an interesting conversation I had with someone in the league a couple of days ago is I think when we talk about premium positions, we talk about centers and, go- and defensemen typically. But I guess the the question that was posed to me is why did Jeremy Swayman not get more love given how important goaltenders are and how impressive he's been not only the previous season when he was called – when he – you know, when he only played a couple of games and was still called eligible, but again in this season, when he was when he was uh, fully eligible for the Calder and had a long you know, you know body work, we got whatever he had like 30, 40 games and did quite well. I I know typically when it comes to the non goalie awards that goalies qualify for, they unless they truly are exceptional, they get dinged a little bit. But I think you could have made a really strong argument that Swayman was just as valuable a player to his team as those others two. No question. And, and I voted Igor Shosturkin first for, for Hart. So I'm definitely kind of sympathetic to that. And I, I did consider Swayman. The, the things that always to me run, run into the, the conversation for goalies is kind of the games played. And, and I, that was something right. I considered with Shosturkin even, but I ended up concluding, you know what? He, he still played twice as many minutes as the guy who I was, was my second place on Hart was Matthews. Um, and I think you could have made that same case for Swayman. The, the thing that kept Swayman off my ballot, just speaking for me, was knowing that Boston was the best defensive team in the league in terms of both their defensemen and their forwards. The team defense was crazy. And I just felt like there were enough really good players. I really wanted to get Matt Boldy onto the ballot. I thought he was outstanding in in a similar number of games played that Swayman had. Um, But he was right there for me too. Yeah, no, I'm not sure I would have – I didn't vote. I'm not sure I would have had Swayman on on a ballot, but I think it's an interesting discussion regardless. Yeah, absolutely. Do you want to talk about Boldy? Because I know he was a guy that you felt really strongly about as the year went on. And um, I don't think he ends up finishing in, in the overall top five. I got to pull up the results here in front of me. But I, I, I thought he I had a great year. I don't believe he did. And yeah, I think that's just because of the games played. And, you know, we kind of argued on like a, a couple of months ago about like the whole nuances of that award and how you should read what the most proficient rookie is. But most people don't view it that way. They just view, you know, who was the most valuable rookie this season and it's hard to do that if you only have if you have less what do you think had less than 40 games played in the nhl this season or something like that right so, around there yeah so i it just was unless he just blew the doors off i think it just wasn't going to happen i think i remember the one year i think it was when gosses bears rookie year happened and he came up and he just 
He didn't play a full year, but he was so good that I think he elevated his way into that discussion. But it's hard if you don't if you only play a half season to actually get into these kind of award uh, discussions. Well, and when I you know I guess just peek behind the curtain here, I I call a lot of people when I'm doing my ballots because I want to check myself. And I I texted Corey the, the morning that I filed just to kind of give a final once over. And and you felt like I should have put Boldy. I think you were you were saying you should consider Boldy even higher. And I, I see the logic to it and just what you're, you're saying right there. What kept me from putting him higher um, wasn't so much like the games played. I think he played – he played 47. Like that's enough games to, to really be up there. But it was knowing where Zegris and Raymond were at a similar number sure. of games played and seeing how kind of that rookie wall did take effect for them. And I didn't want to presume that that, that, that wouldn't happen for Boldy. And I, I wanted him on my ballot because I thought he was – Really impressive. Every time I watch him. Now, I watched him against Detroit when he tore them up, but still. Right. I think the, the, the argument for me is I always look at the team quality and I say, you know, how big an impact did you make on your team quality? And the Wild were one of the best offensive teams in the league last season. And Boldy played a significant role on yeah. that team for a significant portion of the season. Uh, and that's why I, I felt strongly about that one, that I feel like he should have been in that mix. Last guy I want to make sure we touch on here is is Bunting because I think that was one of the more divisive ones. When I called around, I had people tell me you shouldn't put him on the ballot, uh, and and I ended up putting him third. and And the reason I did was because I I felt like as much as I am very sympathetic to the idea that you know age wise, it, it's a very different conversation here that, than you're having with a Lucas Raymond, with a Matt Boldy, uh, with a Trevor Zegras. As long as he's eligible, I feel like I have to consider them as if they're functionally the same age, right? Um, how do you feel about Bunting's positioning here? I mean, I think he ends up finishing third. I mean, it's a reasonable thing given that he was the leading rookie scorer and he was eligible. I know people will point to the line he played on, but I don't love that argument that much. I think you can – it's always like a minor thing you can do, like a tiebreaker. But – you couldn't just put anybody on Matthews and Marner's line. They're going to get 60 points. It doesn't work that way. You still have to be a good player in your own right. And Bunting is a skilled, competitive, intelligent forward. Not the best skater, but there's a lot of things that he did really well and did really well uh, this season. I understand why people are hesitant to give him a Calder vote because of his age. This is a guy who has been a pro for many years. He's played the Men's World Championship uh, he's played, you know, he played, I think he played with our, in the NHL with Arizona for, for a couple of games there. So I, I get where this comes from. And it's like a little bit of a tension with these awards is you can say, well, if you want to change who's eligible for this, then just change the definition. They've done that before. Yep. You can, you can do it again. Uh, you don't make me in, interpret things that, that don't need, that don't need to, you know, need to be interpreted. But on the other hand, there are some things you you uh, kind of read into the award uh, that isn't explicit. And for example, in the culture definition, they say, I believe the exact words is, they can't have played more than 25 pro games. That's, that's the word that they use in the definition. But what that word pro means, it was put in there specifically to exclude the WHA. Back in the day, it's why Wayne Gretzky couldn't win Rookie of the Year in his first NHL season. It wasn't meant to exclude the KHL or the SHL or the American League. 
but yet that word is in there in a very specific way. So these are like little fun arguments, nerdy arguments you can make about these awards. But I think given this where we are, that we accept players who've played in the American League or players who have been 26 years old as eligible, then you have to, I think, consider him in the same lines as you would anyone else. If you want to make a best prospect award, then you should go make one. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And to me, like, you know, personally, I, I do think 26 is a little little high up there to be a rookie. Sure. But I'm not I'm not trying to make an advocacy stand here with my vote. You tell me what, what the criteria are you want me to vote on, and that's what I'm going to vote on. Uh, I, I struggled with the line mates thing um, and ultimately decided I, I didn't really want to consider it at all because it takes in too much guesswork, right? And and the, the main player that I was flip-flopping between at 3-4 was Bunting and Raymond. And at the end of the day, I thought, you know what? Raymond played his whole year with Detroit's two top forwards um, as well. And you can only go so far as to drop in on guys into totally different team contexts. And how would Raymond have done with Matthews and Marner? How would Bunting have done with Larkin and Bertuzzi? I, I decided I didn't want to try to guess those things. And I, I went back to when I saw Bunting play, it wasn't just he's this passenger on this line. He was a really active participant. He played a, a role that Zach Hyman played for, you know, right. for a while before that. And he did it really, really well. And I thought, you know, especially when you come back to that word of proficiency, this guy was an NHL player that I think this year, any coach in the league would have taken on their team uh, and, and given a similar role. And I think he would have performed, you know, maybe, maybe the numbers aren't quite there. You pick up some extra assists when you play with Matthews. It's a fact. But at the end of the day, the guy did lead all rookies in points. And I think that, matters when, when you're talking about proficiency and it's not an end-all be-all but I just felt like I wanted to take all the well what if this what if that out of it and and it's it's the 3-4 spot for me so hell of a sign for them too he's uh, yeah they get they get him at less than a million bucks now from one more season absolutely no it's it's a great piece of work for uh for Kyle Dubas you talked about Jeremy Swayman a minute ago with with the goalies and that's an area I guess I'm going to pivot us here now that in this draft I don't know that I feel like we've actually covered as in-depth as, as we should have. Now, that's partly for a reason. There is not right. this year a Yaroslav Askarov, a Spencer Knight, a, a Jesper Wallstead, or Sebastian Kosa. Um, but that almost makes it kind of an interesting year to talk about them to me because I, I think people are going to want to know, okay, well, if there's not that guy, let's say my team does need that future goalie, when would it be reasonable for me to to go and, and look at a Tyler Brennan, uh, some of the other top goalies in, in this class, Lane and uh, what do you think there? I mean, what's your overall assessment of the goalies in this class? Are, are, are we looking at just kind of 1B goalies here? Or are, are these guys potential starters? Even in the, the years where you don't think it's a great goalie crop, history tends to tell you there's going to be somewhere between one to two starting goalies that will come out of each draft class on average, even if they're not first-round picks. So chances are some of these guys will become players, uh, real players in the NHL. And it starts with Tapias Leinonen from from Finland and, and Tyler Brennan, who plays in the Western League. Those are the two obvious guys. Both guys measuring around six foot four. Brennan more of the cerebral type of goalie. Leinonen more of the raw athlete type of goaltender. Neither of their performances this season were all that spectacular, but they've shown well at certain points over their careers. And I think they're going to be the first two goalies off the board in some order. I think both could even very well go in the second round of the draft. So I don't think you're going to be waiting that long to see the first goalie go off the board. Although I can see one maybe slide into the early parts of the third round. 
after that, it gets more interesting. I, I think there's still going to be 10, 12 plus goalies that are selected in this draft. Uh, there's a lot of undersized goalies who were, uh, who were leaders with their, with their national teams this season, which kind of furthers this. It's not a great goalie crop. When you have a guy like Dylan Silverstein, who's about 6 with the program, uh, he was their starting goalie. He wasn't starting goalie at the, at the U18s because he was hurt. You have Hugo, Hugo Havlid, who was the best goalie at the U18s, but he's five foot ten. You have Sergei Ivanov, who was the best goalie at the U18s the prior season. He's about 5'10", 5'11". So, so all that kind of goes into this debate going around the, around the goalies. But there's some other guys to consider. Uh, I think Mason Bopit from Spokane, six foot five goaltender with with pretty decent athleticism for his size. I think that's going to be a guy who's going to be rather attractive. The other Finland goalie who played behind Landon at the U18s, uh, Nicholas Coco, I think will be a guy that 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 gets drafted. I think the other NTDP goalie, Tyler Muselik, has, has some fans in the NHL world. And I can keep going on and on. There's there's plenty of other goalies. I think Cameron Whitehead uh, from from Lincoln will be maybe a third or a fourth fourth round pick, uh, athletic goaltender with with decent size. Uh, so exactly, not super athletic, but athletic enough for for his frame with with good hockey sense. So I think there's enough there that will make for an interesting class. And I still think it may not be in the first round, but there will be goalies picked, and they will be picked often. I like that you kind of stuffed all these guys at the very back of your board too. You just got them on there, you ranked them, but it's it is just kind of like a hey, if you if you're in on the goalies, uh, these are these are your crop, and, and if you don't get you know Brennan or, or Lehnan in, or I think you had Dilver, Dylan Silverstein a little bit higher than, than yeah. kind of this last crop. Yeah, and I gave I had uh, Whitehead and Muselik on my list higher, different iterations when I was making the list, and ultimately uh, their seasons as a whole. Uh, persuading me to take them off, but I could definitely see really good arguments for either of those guys to be tough four round picks. Same thing with Mason Bo Pitch. I think ultimately somebody's going to take those guys if they have decent size and, and enough traits in their game. One of the guys I wanted to zero in on here, and maybe it's not fair to zero in on any one of them because it's kind of a cluster, but Brett Brochu is a guy who it, it seemed like was going to get the net for Canada at, at the World Juniors. Um, over Sebastian Cosa, who was a first round pick a year ago, uh, very different kind of <laughs> profiles here in terms of your goalies. Um, Brochu would have been one of the youngest players if, if he had been taken in last year's draft. He was not. Now he's one of the older guys. I mean, um, overagers in general. But he's a September birthday, September '02. And I'm just curious, like when 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 you talk to folks around Hockey Canada around the World Juniors, obviously they saw something and they wanted to, to start him. What did they say about him? Yeah, I think he started off his season really well. He's tailed off a little bit in the second half after after that World Junior. I think he was hurt there for a stretch too. Uh, I mean, he's just five foot eleven. That's just another just another one where I think people look at that and just say he's a good junior goalie. I, I think he, I probably would bet. I don't think he think he could get drafted, but I would bet against him getting drafted just for those reasons. There's just not that many five eleven goalies who play in the NHL. I think Havlid. Gets drafted, even though he's five foot ten. But I, obviously, he showed some exceptional performances at the U18, stealing that gold medal uh, from USA uh, in that monster performance uh, for Sweden. I think they got outshot something like sixty to fifteen or something in that game, and they still managed to win. and And that's going to, I think, weigh on some people who think, "Hey, this might be the next Dustin Wolf, who, mind you, hasn't played much in the NHL, but he's been exceptional in the American League this season." Uh, but yeah, those, those small goals like a brochure. 
Havlid, Ivanov. I don't think they are they are locks to get drafted. Actually, I should correct myself here. Brochu would have been one of the young, one of the young girls if he'd been taken two drafts ago, but yes. he was already an overager last year. Yes, he was. That's my correct. bad. Yeah. Okay. Um, on the small goalie thing, like when I think of small goalies who succeed, it's it's always one of two things: uh, absolutely absurd ability to to read the play or crazy athleticism. And I think about you know, and I, and I think both has to be true sometimes too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You probably can't just be one of them. Um, which Which of these goalies would be the best athlete, and which of these smaller goalies would be the best athlete, and which would you like their their puck tracking the best? Uh, Silverstein's the best athlete, and I think Havlitz the smartest. All right, that's good to know. Anything else on the goalies here before we we take our first break today? I I, just, I think there is again. This isn't a draft class that has a lot of goalie love, but I do sense at least going into the draft a little bit more love for Landon as we get close. I think he is the betting odds to be the first goalie picked, and there's at least a minority opinion out there among some scouts that this is a really good prospect. It could go you know maybe even in the first half of the second round. You had Landon in. He's your top, right? He's your number one, but narrowly. Yeah, I think I had him Brennan back to back. Yeah, you do. Fifty nine Lane and sixty Brennan. All right, all right. So there we go. All right, we're gonna take our first quick break, and we'll be right back to talk about a couple of mock drafts. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, Corey, uh, we've got yet another mock draft to discuss today. Actually, two more mock drafts to discuss today. Uh <laughs> Both of them, uh, you're, you had some involvement in. One of them was our, our staff mock, which was mostly us beat writers. And I know you, you talked, talked it over with uh, some NHL sources, as you always do. But one of the ones, I think this is the first time you've done this. You did a kind of a dueling mock draft with an NHL source, someone who works for a team. Um, and you guys kind of traded picks. And so it, it, it was just, you know, they pick, you pick, they pick, you pick, et cetera, down the whole way. Um, and I thought that was a really interesting exercise, maybe a little more... Um, informed to at least certainly where, where one, one source is at. Um, but I, I want to talk about, I guess, kind of some of the key differences there uh, between the two. I think that the top of the draft at, at this point is uh, a lot of people seem to be thinking it goes the same way, at least the, the, the first kind of six players or so. Um, but the NHL source in, in yours had Marco Casper going to Ottawa. I think that was the first big distinction. I mean, he's, he goes one pick later to Detroit in, in the staff mock. But I think that's the highest I've seen Casper in a mock so far. What, do you, what did you think of that? Yeah, I thought that was interesting. And I think that reflects that should the consensus six go in that order, the consensus six being Shane Wright, Uri Slavkowski, Logan Cooley, Simon Nemich, David Yerchek, and Cutter Goche in some order, that after that it really opens up. And I think there isn't really a consensus seventh, eighth, ninth best player. and 
And if this uh, particular person values Casper that much, that could be the pick. It could be many other players. Joachim Kamel, Matthew Savoy, Jonathan Lekaramaki, Kevin Korczynski, uh, you know, or even some, someone else that I'm not mentioning. But Casper is in that bucket, and it's, that's definitely a possibility at that pick. I know we kind of think of Ottawa as having you know, some of their centers lined up, but I think Tim Stutzel on the wing is a very fine scenario and with, with Casper being his center. Well, and especially I think, you know, we, we saw Ottawa last year and, and, you know, not to say that picking Marco Casper would be like picking Tyler Boucher, but I think you, you did see some traits there that, that they value that I think are also present in Marco Casper when you think of the toughness, the meanness that they play with. Right. And it's not just from Boucher. It's Ridley Gregg. It's Jake yeah. Sanderson. Uh, you know, Brady Kachuk. There's, there's certain things that you clearly see they value. Tyler Clevin, you know, so. And and Casper has that plus the skating and the skill too. So I definitely think that's an, at least a possibility they're gonna they have to discuss. When I did my, I, I always do like a mock draft scenarios because uh, it's too hard to just pick one thing, and I want to give people sure. a, a three shots at a window. But um, one of the scenarios I had in there was Ottawa trading out of that pick, and I think the one I did was Minnesota. Those two teams have been connected plenty around a potential Kevin Fiala deal. Minnesota's another team though. Like like I almost think if Ottawa moves that pick, it's it's almost equally likely that the person there is going to be interested in in getting a a center out of that pick as well. And so I thought that could be uh that could be another option there. So I I, I think that that was a a good uh, choice there by the scout uh, at least to you know, at least to spark kind of some a scenario that hasn't been covered as much. Um the other one that I thought was interesting or or the next one I thought was interesting was uh Jonathan Lekaramaki slipping to 15 in this one, this dueling one. I think that's about as late as I've seen him. Uh, yeah, and, and I don't think that's realistic for what's going to happen on draft day. I think I, – I just personally believe he's going to go higher. You know, I would say at least five spots higher. But but yeah, just – I it in that kind of range after the consensus six, you have a lot of smaller forwards, whether it is Lekaramaki, whether it is Matthew Savoy, whether it is Joachim Kamel – Maybe even Frank Nazar you could throw into this, into this discussion. And one of them is going to slide. There's there's not going to be – I want to say not because I don't want to be guaranteed. But I would be highly surprised if in a 6 to 7 pick range you have three five ten ish probably wingers go in, in that range. That doesn't seem to line up with the history of the draft. The – NHL source here, uh, I am going to assume, is not that concerned about the long-term issues with the Russian players because he took two in back-to-back picks uh, at 17 and 19, back-to-back for him, uh, Yurov and Miroshnashenko. The Yurov pick pretty in line with where he went in the staff mock. I think Yurov went 16 in, in, the, in the staff and 17 in, in the source mock. But uh, in Miroshnashenko gets up into the top 20 uh, from the source pick. Uh, that's to L.A., uh, I'm just curious, is, you know, especially we heard at the combine, Dan Marr was talking about, you know, maybe the progress that Mira Shashenko's had, um, and, and we'll talk about him a little bit more in the mailbag. But what did you think of of Mira Shashenko working in the top twenty in this mock? It's really depends on who you ask. There are people I'll talk to in the league who have absolutely no interest in making that gamble in the first round, and others who are highly intrigued by a player they view as a top five, top three overall talent in the draft, and see this as an opportunity to get a rare opportunity to get that kind of player later than you usually would due to the very severe health issues he's been dealing with this season. Uh, and obviously this person fell on, on, on that ladder spectrum. 
at number 30 for Winnipeg, you took a player who I don't think we've talked maybe enough about so far, and that's Julian Lutz uh, out of the DEL. Um, you guys had two rounds here, and so we'll get into some of those other guys later that we haven't maybe talked about as much. But could you just kind of fill people in Julian Lutz's stock, his rise? 30, I assume you feel like that's a pretty close to his range. I think he could sneak into the late one or be an early second round pick. Uh, just because of the toolkit, he's six foot two. He skates like an NHL player. He has a good shot. He has legitimate skill. Uh, he was hurt. He had a back injury for, for most of the season. And then he came back, played in the DEL, was with the top team in Munich, did not get big ice time in that situation, you know, five, six, seven minutes a night. Then he goes to the U18 Worlds, didn't, doesn't kill it, but he plays well enough and shows enough NHL attributes that I think there's going to be people there who are going to be really interested by that. There are not a lot of forwards that late in the draft who are going to look like that. I think you're basically looking at him or Philip Bystead are going to be the only guys who are 6'2 plus and can skate and have skill. So even though they're not perfect profiles all around, I think whether Tim, Bystead, I think you start talking about those guys around that range of the draft. We just talked about the goalies. Uh, in this one, the goalie goes earlier than I actually expected. It's Topias Leinen uh, going at, at 36 to Arizona. Uh, is 36, like, I mean, I know you ranked him 59. Early second, though, that's that seems plausible to you? It. I understand where he was going with the argument is that this is whatever Arizona's fifth pick or whatever yeah, in the draft. Right. and. They have no goalie in their system. Take a shot on a talented, you know, six four athletic goalie. It's probably a little higher than I think he's going to go. But I think once you get to around forty, I, I think the possibilities open up there. Well, let's talk about Arizona then, because they have so many picks. It's it's true. Let me read you what the class that Arizona comes out of the top two rounds with here is: Logan Cooley, Maverick Lamaru, Jimmy Snuggerud, uh, Philip Mesar, uh, Topias Leinen, Owen Beck, Thomas Hamara. I think that's all of them for this one. Uh, that's a pretty – that checks a lot of boxes there. You get your dynamic number one center. You get a big uh, bruising right shot D. You get a potential goalie. You get another center in Owen Beck who, you know, maybe he's not the, the flashy kind, but he's the good the good foil to, to the Logan Cooley type where you think, okay, he's got kind of this shutdown potential. You get a little bit of uh, of, of, of upside there with, with Mesar. This is a nice class if this is how it comes together for Arizona. Goal, goal scorer and Snuggerud. Yep, yep, for sure. Yeah, no, yeah, I. It's no secret that this is a very important draft for the Arizona Coyotes, and when you have, you're not going to hit on every pick, but if you're not, you either got to pick high or you got to pick often, and they're and they're doing both <laughs> in in this draft. So, you hope that you're going to walk away from this draft if you're the Arizona Coyotes with two, three, maybe even four core important long-term players for your franchise whether it's a new you know top two line center whether it's a top four defenseman a starting goaltender legitimate top of the lineup wingers who can who can score you gotta get some of those guys and you get you mentioned all the talent they get there probably not every single one of those guys are going to hit but that's a lot of talent and you can see at least a couple of those guys coming important coyotes for a long time on the Montreal side of things, obviously another team that has a bunch of picks. Uh, I, I believe both mocks. I think Seattle has a bunch of picks too, but they may they may may, may not. I mean, the top two guys. I think they have a couple extra thirds and fourths and stuff like that. Yes, uh, we can circle back on Seattle here, but but I want to get to Montreal because I think both haven't haven't taken Shane Wright. Uh, the, the the source mock has Liam Ogren with their second pick at number twenty six. But uh, Arpin uh, decided he wanted to shake things up a little bit when we did the staff mock, and he orchestrated a trade up 
So it was number 20 for numbers 26 and 62. They get up and they get Frank Nazar. I have two questions for you. If you were Montreal, would you make this trade if the board fell the way it did? And number two, is there a real shot that Frank Nazar is there at number 20? No and yes. Okay. Why would you not make the deal? I just, yeah, I just thought, well, it's not my, I know people, other people like Chris Peters we had on last week has that a high opinion of Frank Nazar. I just don't think he's that type of prospect. I think if you're going to trade up six spots at a draft, it's a guy from 26 to 20 in, in this, in this scenario, you teams only do that if there's a guy who's top 10, top 12 on their list who's falling and that they value that highly. And I, that's basically where I have Nazar ranked on my overall list. So I I kind of have him in a big blob of guys right around there. So I think you can get just as good, if not a better player, uh, at 26. So I would I would not give away a third-round pick to go do that. Um, Who's a player that if, if they were sitting there around you know, 18, 19, 20, that, that you'd start getting the itchy finger picking up the phone for? Probably you're off. Cause you're I think off. that's the most realistic one who can start to slide there a little bit. And so – if he's if he's falling because of this risk, and you're now saying I'm going to use two pick, I'm almost doubling down on the risk. You're okay with that though? Uh, I mean, it's easy to say, but that's yeah. the one that comes to mind. And mind you, I've compared this to the 2010 draft before Tarasenko and Kuznetsov on this podcast, and that's what happened in the 2010 draft. Is Tarasenko started to slide, and St. Louis exchanged with Ottawa to go get Tarasenko. And by doing that, not only did they, they didn't trade a third-round pick, they traded at then a what was considered an elite prospect in David Runblad uh, to go and make that trade to go to that pick to get Tarasenko. Uh, so, yes, uh, it, again, easier said than done. The, the world's obviously a little different now than it was in 2010. Uh, but that would be the one in that particular scenario. We're talking about moving from 26 to 20 that I would do something like that. I kind of like that. I mean, I, I am of the of the long view opinion that every time the Russians fall in a draft, and like you said, different sets of circumstances, but every time it happens within five to 10 years, everyone says, how did they fall? This to me would, would make good sense. I think that's very good. That's especially when you bring up the Runblad example, like that, that's a, that's a good, uh, good point. Yeah, in terms of Nazar, I think just talking around the league, I think that's kind of the range I expect him to go, somewhere between 15 to 25, I would say. I, I, I don't think he's going to go in the upper half of the of the draft. Like there's maybe projected a few months ago after his U18 Worlds. I think there's maybe a little bit of recency bias going on, but but that's also just have a great – I think his second half wasn't as good as his first half too. So He was playing uh, hurt. I mean that's yeah, relevant. That, yeah, that's why I said it's more than just the tournament. It's the second yeah. half. and The second half in general wasn't as strong as the first half. Um, yeah, and also – them executing a trade without telling us they were going to do that was also a, a whole other headache. <laughs> I'm sure some I of our I'm, I'm sure some of our writers were like, "I didn't know you can do this." <laughs> you know, I, 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 maybe maybe we want to do that. Hey, just another trade that we found out about after it happened, right? Uh, we're going to go to to the Seattle ones now because you're right. There's a ton in the second round here for Seattle. The, the first round that they come away with Simon Nemitz, which you know, and and. Uh, and that, that's their only guy in the, in the first, but a, a really good building block there. And we talked about, you know, Arizona's draft and, and the pieces they're getting. Seattle's starting from scratch. They, they start with a, a top six center in Mappineers last year. Now they get the, the coveted right shot defenseman. So that's great. But mixing into the, to the second rounders, and I got to be careful as I filter to Seattle here that I don't get into Korchinski and Schaefer, who are Seattle WHL, but Jagger Furcus, 
there's Seamus Casey, another right shot D. Matt's Lindgren, a left shot D, uh, and Tyler Brennan. So they get their goalie as well, filling in the decor, um, and and then obviously the goalie. So that it's kind of a build from the back approach in this this scenario. And realistically, looking at that draft class, if I had to like really sit down and process this, they probably would not draft so many small defensemen and. I mean, you're doing Fergus, Casey, Lindgren. Those are all those are all small players, and even Nemich isn't that big. So I would guess they probably mix in some size in there. Just rethinking that one over a little bit, but but yeah, they have. Unlike their last, their first draft, uh, Seattle has a real opportunity with this draft to create a, a deep farm system and uh, create more of a a more of a foundation there for their for their team in the future. I still like their draft last year. Obviously, Matt Beniers is a, is a fantastic player. Riker Evans had a good season. Ryan Winterton had a very good season, I thought, in Hamilton, and, and still ongoing as we, as we record this. Uh, but they, they need more than just a couple of prospects to, to build a team, especially since they, they didn't get the uh, hit the ground running like a Vegas did. If I give you hindsight here on the 49 pick, which was Casey, would you swap it for Noah Warren, who is a red shot D of a much different profile, who went four picks later? Yeah, that probably makes more sense. All right, cool. You're welcome. That, there's a finder's fee for that pick. <laughs> uh, anything else on these two mocks here before we, we pivot and get into the mailbag? Uh, no, I think we kind of hit on everything. All right, good deal. So we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with a really good set of mailbag questions for this week. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. (laughs) I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, Corey, let's get to the mailbag here. Uh, some good ones. We, we, we did touch on Mira Shashenko a minute ago, but Ern Morris wants to know, uh, everyone seems content that his health issues are behind him. Why isn't he being considered for higher in the draft in the late teens or 20s? Well, I think he's leading... Uh the witness here a little bit <laughs> because I don't think everybody is con- is content that it's behind him. I mean, the guy's not on the ice yet by any means. Uh, I inquired about him a couple of days ago and I believe he's just now starting to begin some light training sessions, uh, but he's, he's not with a team or anything close to that. Uh, and he, I say it's a, it's a delicate situation to talk about because he obviously just feel for the kid, but you know, he had cancer and, Cancer is not always a straight line to recovery and, and getting back to your normal life. So, yes, things look positive relative to where we thought they'd be six months ago. It looks like, you know, what the doctors are saying, really good things about his recovery. And uh, he seems to be on, on the path back, but it's still a long path back. And there are all kinds of risks that come with, with drafting a player who's, gone, who's just recently gone through what he's gone through. Um, so I understand why um, people would be really hesitant and, and not give him the benefit of the doubt everything's behind him. To go with the fact that he is a Russian playing in Russia, and there's also the other issue with Mirosachenko is that his play did dip a little bit there in, in the last couple of months of his season. I think most reasonable people would presume that it's the cancer played a large part in that but it's hard to say. So there's a lot of things going on with Mirostachenko's case. Uh, I I really can't argue too much with somebody who puts him anywhere they want on their list. I I think you can make really, really reasonable arguments for him being off your first round, and I could even buy him being a top 10 player on your list. It's This is a really tough case to deal with. Do you think he should solidly be going – I mean, yes, should. You think he will be going behind Danila Yurov, though, no matter what? I would be a little surprised if he went ahead of him, yes. Okay, so it's possible. Yeah. Okay. All right, next one is from Lucas Denny. What's the most Chinakov-type uh, move Yarmo Kekalen could make in this draft at number 12? One of those predict the impossible questions, but do your best if you can't. It is. I mean, no, it, we would never have said Yegor Chinakov at the time of that draft either. Um, and I'm also a little skeptical of the idea that just because a GM made a really surprising move once means they're going to they're going to do it again. This comes up a lot with Iserman, but sure. uh, yeah. let's, let's right. humor the question. Maybe right. we don't even have to limit it to Columbus. Who's the guy you could see as the, the Chinakov of this draft? Right. I think you can make it t- the Tyler Boucher of this year's draft or the, yeah. the Cider or the Barrett Hayton or Vitaly Kravtsov. You know, there's always one guy that kind of sh- that stirs the pot there a little bit. And I think Chinakov is a good one for the answer. Uh, not, not not the actual answer, but I mean, he was he became the answer because he had that really good stretch there in the KHL when because the the draft was pushed back to the fall, and you got to watch him a little bit in playing the start of his next season, and that weighed heavily in terms of why he was drafted so high. 
the guy that I think of who could be that is Reed Schaefer. I think about that because Reed Schaefer was a top 10 uh, score in the WHL playoffs. It was a big re- he played uh, a big role on that Seattle Thunderbirds team that went deep into into the playoffs. Uh, he's a six three forward. He plays hard. He showed some offense. Uh, so if there's a guy who's going to kind of rise and, and surprise, that's one that comes to mind. And I might even throw Nathan Gaucher in there, who we've talked about before on this podcast. All right, Avco Cup says, I'm a bit surprised how much information team scouts and lad sources in there in general seem to be willing to share with you and other prospect people in the public sphere. I guess I just imagined it being more secretive. Do you think there's ever some sort of disinformation going on, though? Basically, I think what he's saying is, do you think they're ever trying to get you to say something that maybe isn't what, how they really feel? Um, that happens sometimes, and it's pretty easy to identify it. Uh, I've had it doesn't happen that often. I would say it's a more of a it's definitely a rarer occurrence than this questioner thinks it is. But I've had the odd instance where somebody tells me, "Oh, hey, I think this guy is bad," and then they end up drafting the guy. And just and you obviously don't want that to happen. I mean, you know, and I you just know, okay, that you you can't trust this person. You're, you know, they're they're trying to do that thing that this questioner is accusing you of. But I would say for the most part, you get that information not because you're just fishing for information is because you develop relationship with these people over a very long period of time and it's not a one-way street you're telling them what you're hearing and, and vice versa i think a lot of these quote-unquote insiders you hear whether it's not just you know not not so not me you're talking about like the nhl reporters uh and reporters and other sports that i've talked to as well that's how they get to that phase in their life is in their career sorry is because they have these two-way relationships and it's a, almost like it's almost like an implied trust in there, and uh, you know there are certain things that there are things that I learned that I can't share at times because of those relationships. Uh, but but I think it, that's a that's a big part of it. And like I said they, they 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 give me information, but I also give them back information, and there is a mutual trust and respect there. Do you ever get something where a, a, a team says they don't like a guy, they take him, but it actually does seem legit? Like maybe they're they were just one person on a team of scouts and they didn't like him, but maybe their team still did or their GM still did. Oh, oh yeah, for sure. Like, yeah. And I, you, have to, you have to be really careful with that. You don't want to say if one scout says, oh, I don't like this guy. You don't want to say, oh, that team doesn't like that guy. Cause that is, that is not true. But there was, there was one instance where like a very high up decision maker told me like, oh, we're not, we're definitely not taking this guy. He sucks. And they end up taking him. And so that was like very blatant on the nose. <laughs> yeah. That one's not too hard to see through. <laughs> right. But but yeah no that happens all the time. I mean there's, I think, I think your average fan would be surprised how much disagreement happens on a lot even the highest of picks that a, that a team has. I think honestly in most drafts starting around the five to ten slot, there will probably be people in a draft room uh, for your favorite team that have hard disagreements on the players that their team selects. All right, uh, Hockey Ninja. Corey, who are your favorite late-round 2022 NHL draft sleepers? Uh, yeah, I could, there's a couple that come to mind. I think anyone who read my initial draft ranking probably saw them. For the most part, a lot of the names were in some of an order they expected. There wasn't, there wasn't a lot of surprise names in there. But the one that probably I got the most messages about was at 40, uh, somewhere in the 40s was Miguel Terigny who is a third-year eligible defenseman playing in the queue. He's, he's not even the biggest defenseman. I think he's like five foot eight. 
So not your typical profile of a future NHL defenseman, uh, but really love watching this kid play. He can fly. He makes a lot of plays. He can shoot the puck well. He competes hard. You know, does he's kind of like a almost like a better skating Joe Hicketts maybe. <laughs> uh, so in that regard, so I think there's a lot there to like about that player. And in terms of maybe more traditional profiles. Uh, we've talked about Kirill Dolzhenkov on a previous episode, how maybe there's some Elmer Soderblom uh, reminders there. And the other one I would like would be the D- Daniel, another Russian, Daniel Ivanov, 6'4 defenseman, skates quite well, uh, has a little bit of puck-moving ability, good two-way guy. I thought he did good with the, at their re- recent Russian under-20 camp that they had. Uh, so those are a couple of ones that come to mind right away. All right, so I, I don't think any of those guys would fit this, so we don't have to worry about doubling up too much. But do you have a personal favorite player with a first-round grade? A personal favorite with a first-round grade. Um, I guess it you know, obviously depends where. what you mean by a favorite exactly. Well, yeah, I'm not asking you to say, like, who's your number one player, like Slavkovsky. Just like uh, I, I think – and this is a question from – this isn't my question. This is from Robert Bates. So I, I think he means like a guy who like you got a soft spot for. Right. I think it's probably either Gaucher or Matejchuk probably. Probably guys I would probably take earlier than I think they're going to go in the draft for different reasons. And that Matejchuk, I just think he's a dynamic player, great skater, skill, offensive brain. He can shoot it. He's active. He plays heavy minutes. Obviously, he's a 5'11 defenseman, but I still think there's a lot there that make him be a potential top four defenseman in the NHL. I think the defending is good enough. And a very different type of player. I just think Gaucher just gets underrated. I people talk to so many people who think he doesn't have offense. We've been the debate before. I think there is offense. Time will tell who is right to go with the six three the and the compete. So and and we'll see. Give me uh Marco Casper and Lane Hudson. Honestly, a pretty similar dynamic to those two answers, but uh those are my two. All right, I'm gonna combine these next two. The first one is from Yan Chai's. What are the chances David Yurichek is available at six for Columbus? And the second is from Los Coyotes Steve, who says, if Arizona was to stray outside of the rumored top three with their first pick at third overall, who is the most likely player that they would select? So presumably this is how a scenario where Juracek is available at six happens, is, is if a team like Arizona strays from, from the convention. Or somebody else. Ex- ex- yeah. or, but, uh, and I think the one we keep coming back to in our conversations about this is is somebody has to fall in love with Cutter Gauthier, right? Like that seems to be the most real, whether it is, whether it's Philly, Arizona, or Seattle, somebody has to just, just, you know, they have to buy he's a center. They have to buy, there's a legitimate offense there. And if they buy those two things, then I think that creates a scenario, whether it's Arizona, Seattle, or Philly, that, that one of those two defensemen get outside of the top five. Your check at Columbus seems like a really... I mean, I, I think it seems plausible, and it also seems like a really good fit. Right. No, it does. And, you know, there's there's, there's so much buzz, I think, about how Arizona wants to get bigger too, right? And, yep. you know, Goche is objectively bigger than Cooley. There, there, that's, you can make a lot of debates about wh- which player is better, but that part is not debatable. So it's – that's the one I could possibly see. Ironically, though, to me, if I see like an Arizona or even maybe a New Jersey, if if you know Slavkovsky's off the board or whatever, if I see one of those teams doing something a little surprising, I almost feel like Juracek is the guy that I would see them doing it for, right? Like especially yes. when you talk about Arizona and the possibility of of trading Jacob Chikrin, like, Juracek's almost the guy who I could see them foregoing a forward for. 
yeah, I think for both them and New Jersey, it makes a lot of sense. I don't think there's any guarantees that he <laughs> that, that that doesn't happen. Yeah. James K wants to know your best prediction for Andre Kuzmenko's rookie season now that he is signing with the Canucks. Uh, yeah, I do like Kuzmenko quite a bit. Obviously, he's done excellent versus men. He was a top player in the KHL. High skill level, high hockey sense, uh, competes well. Not the biggest guy, not the fastest guy. So there might be a little bit of a transition there for him into the NHL. But I think he's going to be a really a really solid middle six winger. I don't think he's going to come in and be you know, an impact guy like Kaprizov or Panarin was right away. I don't think he has that kind of ability in him. But he's going to be a really good player. I could see somewhere between, I think, 40 to 45 points, I think, is a realistic expectation for him. Which is, you know, a fringe top six, certainly middle six forward. Yeah, no, I think he will be an important part of that team. He can play fringy top six, power play, help the team out in, in various ways. I just don't know. I, From what I've seen of him, I just don't expect the big, you know, 60, 70 point season you, that some of those other top Russians I mentioned did right away. Yeah. All right. Jonathan H. wants to know if you have any insight into Ryan Chesley, who seems to be quietly creeping higher in the mock draft. Could he be the Tanev replacement that the Canucks need and any chance they take him at number 15? Uh, I'd say no. And I think when we did, when we did the staff mock draft, I think Dallas took him at 18. And uh, I think that was the one we got to push back on in the scout audit. That Chesley's not going that high. I think he still couldn't go in the first round, but but top 18, top 15 I think they're just better players. I think Pavel Minchikov could be there. I think Leon Bischel could be there. Uh, I, I think you could just have other options that you'll be able to pick from in terms of defensemen if you want one at 15. But I guess uh, when he's talking about like a Tanev replacement, I'm thinking a, a defensive def- – I guess that's probably Bischel then is, is who you're saying. Because it, it probably isn't Minchikov or, or – and I, we don't think Korchinski's getting there. But it, right. Bischel would be the more likely in, in that category. Right. Not, 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 not everyone loves Bischel. I think most still think he's going in the top 20, but not everyone loves him. So maybe Pickering. Have, yeah, Pickering would, might, might be the better option there. Yes. Yeah. All right. Cool. All right. Gone to the next one. Uh, Jean Benjamin wants to know, is the head coach carousel a bit depressing with no new blood? Why do you think that is? So just to kind of recap for people here, the, the coaches who have been hired in, for the main opening so far, we've got uh, Bruce Cassidy in Vegas, Pete DeBoer in Dallas, Paul Maurice in Florida, there's one more, Tortorella and Philly. So these are all guys that we were pretty familiar with. No, no splashy name really. Whether it's from you know even from the AHL here. Why do you think? I, I guess Jake Woodcroft getting re-signed somewhat qualifies. Is it? It's a re-sign. There's no. That's not new blood. It was new-ish. They yeah, did have. Okay. They, they made that change somewhat recently. Fair. All right. But I guess we, we live in the internet age. Our attention spans are short, Corey. I mean Marty St. Louis. Yeah, but same deal, right? I guess I guess that's fair. Yeah, but. like I, it's an, it is interesting though, and I see the case from both sides. And you know, these people are probably being hired for a reason. Is that they are in the top tier of coaches, and they didn't just because they got fired doesn't mean that you know coaches get fired for all kinds of you know, short sighted reasons all the time, and they're they're often the, the person who takes the blame for a poorly built roster. Or because you mildly underperformed expectations, whether it's due to their own fault or not. So I, I have no problem with these with guys who are considered in the top tier of coaches getting other opportunities. It's not like, I don't think they became worse coaches overnight. Um, I, I also just really don't know how to evaluate coaches. I, I think we all pretend to know how to evaluate coaches, but I, I don't know how you 
unless you have like a really intricate knowledge of systems and how they deal with the players, I, I just don't know how you can say whether a coach hire is a good one or a bad one, uh, to be quite honest. But I do think I, – I see – you probably could argue the balance a little out of whack. There probably shouldn't be so many rehires of guys who were in the league last season or very recently. Yeah, my answer is right along with that. I, I actually think that the balance is – it's just – right now because the hires that have been made are all the experienced ones. I think those are probably just the easier hires to make because they're more known quantities. You probably don't have to do quite as much of the due diligence in the process, quite as much getting to know you because we're talking about John Tortorella. You know what you're getting. We're talking about Pete DeBoer, Bruce Cassidy, Paul Maurice. These are known quantities. So what doesn't surprise me is that this was the first half of the hiring spree. There's still openings out there and we'll see what Detroit does. We'll see what Chicago does. We'll see what Boston does. Uh, is there one more that I'm missing there? No, uh, I guess Lane Lambert, that would be one to your point. Islanders right. hiring Lane Lambert. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me, though, if the, if the back half of this hiring stretch has more of the new blood because now the known quantities are off the board and it makes it's, sense that they were off the board. Is Trotz still out there? Trotz is still out there, yeah. And then, you know. You got to imagine he's going to land somewhere, right? I would think so, yes. But uh, so that'd be, and that'd be Winnipeg, which is one that we didn't even mention. But I think there's still room for two or three kind of new ish coaches in that, in that mold still. Yep. No, I think it all makes sense. All right. Uh, Junior G said, and we'll, we'll combine these two actually too. Junior G, do you think we'll see more 2021 draft eligible players get picked this year than we normally would, given the opportunity to see players that scouts would have missed during the lost development year, specifically, I, I guess, in Ontario? And then Kay wants to know if you can list some re-entry players that interest you. So related questions here. Right. I feel like we get the re-entry question a lot during the season, and I often just ignore it or give like a very bland answer and because because the honest answer to me is like, i don't know those guys those are mid late round picks i usually only focus on in the in the once the seasons are over and you can and you can start making calls and and digging on video on some of these guys so i'll give to the listeners that keep asking me for re-entry guys i'll give you guys i, I put together a little small list of guys i think are going to get drafted that are re-entries uh the top ones i think are going to be lucas edmonds from kingston who was at the Combine, uh, Michael Milne from Winnipeg, Cameron Whitehead, the goalie from Lincoln. Um, in the OHL, I think both uh, Kyle Kyle I think Kyle Jackson from North Bay gets drafted. I think both of the Peterborough Peets, uh, Tucker Robertson, who was a Canada World Junior Camp invite, and uh, Samuel Maillet, the defenseman, get drafted. Ben King from Red Deer, I think, will get drafted. A lot of the Dubuque Fighting Saints. I think uh, Stephen Halliday, Connor Kurtz, Kenny Carnes get drafted. I think the youngest middle stat, Luke Middlestat, will get drafted. Who also all him, Kurth and Connors all just got invited to USA's World Junior Camp, as well as Hunter McCown, who played at Colorado College. I think Amadeus Lombardi will get drafted from uh, I think Blaze plays in Flint in the OHL. We mentioned Terigny early in the podcast from Mackenzie Bathurst. I like James Hardy from Mississauga. I think he might get, he'll get picked. And a little bit one, a little bit of a fun one. I think even though Philadelphia didn't sign Connor McLennan from Winnipeg in the WHL, he re-enters the draft, and I think he will get drafted again. Two that I don't think I heard you say. Are you in on Matt Maggio at all from Windsor? I think he's like a 50-50 to get drafted. Okay, and then uh, the other Hayes brother, Avery, who, who didn't. Obviously, Gavin is in this draft. I think Avery was last year's draft. Avery have any chance? Yeah, some chance. Just, you know, similar profiles in terms of the size skating issues. Uh, I had I had Hayes on my la- on my list last year, though I believe. All right, that is going to do it for us today. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Athletic Hockey Show Prospect Series. 
You can subscribe to The Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts to get all the bonus content from our entire network. It's going to start with a 30-day free trial and then just 99 cents a month after that. And right now, you can subscribe to The Athletic for a dollar a month for six months when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. Do that. We'll talk to you soon.